Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I have came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tri- tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. The Gospel of the Lord. All right, good morning. Uh, my name is Drew, if you're a guest with us, and it's great to be with you. I'm the pastor of discipleship. Um, this morning, I'm excited to jump into this passage for a few minutes together. If you have been with us, or even if you're new, we've been going through the Gospel of John for quite a while now, and we've been seeing the story of Jesus' ministry play out. And we've come to this almost climactic moment as he is now gathering with his disciples, and he's having these intimate important, critical conversations. Let me start by making a statement this morning. We live in a peaceful world, right? You're like, what are you talking about? I'm scared for you, right? No, it would take you less than a minute to turn on your TV, to scroll, to get on social media, to say, no, we absolutely don't live in a peaceful world. There's peacelessness all around us. There's tension. There's people going at each other's throats. There are countries warring with one another. We don't live in a peaceful world. There's illness abounding, tension all around us. On a personal level, there's bills that have to be paid, and I'm not sure where that money's going to come from. There are jobs that don't work out or that need to be found. There are marriages that aren't looking the way that you thought they would, or you found yourself in a very challenging season, or maybe that's even with your kids, and you're wondering, or you're saying, I didn't think it was going to look like this. What do we do? Where do we go from here? How do we solve this, fix this, family dynamics, relationships, and the list goes on and on and on. Things aren't the way that you hoped they would be. Maybe as you looked out at your life, you said, I thought it would be different. I thought this part of my life would be different. I didn't know we'd be here. I didn't know I'd be here. This is challenging. Mental health crisis on the rise. The list goes on and on and on. Peace is not a new concept. It's been around for thousands of years. We're talking about it in our passage today. But if you're like me, it can sometimes feel like a myth, right? Something that's not really attainable, but it's a good thought. It's a good idea, It's something we would love to see, but we're not sure that we really can. Peace is defined like this, freedom from disturbance. Freedom from disturbance. 
Anyone's hopes feel disturbed today? Anyone's expectations have been disturbed? Maybe your health's been disturbed? Your calendar's been disturbed? What this week even looks like has been disturbed? Your idea of how you thought life would go or where you thought you would be right now has been disturbed. Relationships, your year, your dreams, your desires, disturbed. I think for all of us in small and maybe large ways, we would say, yes, there are some disturbances. Maybe you're even in that place right now. As you came in here today or as you joined us online today, you would say life feels very disrupted. It doesn't feel peaceful at all, and I'm really, really struggling, and I'm wondering, what should I do? Where should I go? Where should I turn? Because peace is something that we all want. It's something that our world even talks about, because without peace, experiencing the joy that God offers, the joy that we talk about, or satisfaction, seems very unlikely, if not impossible. So is peace a myth? Let me phrase it in another way, and let's just ask this question. Is it possible to be at peace when life is not? As we look at the end of John chapter 16 today that you heard just read, we're going to get a really clear answer from the merry mouth of Jesus. And I hope for you, and I hope for myself, what we're going to see or what you're going to see is incredibly encouraging. Wherever you are, whatever you're going through, or not even just for today or this season, but whatever will come. And even for those around you. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to jump into this passage. Jesus, thank you for this passage. Thank you for what you're showing us, for what you're saying to us. God, I pray that we would have open ears and open hearts to hear to learn, to receive. God, we have peaceless hearts. They're restless. We have lives that are busy, that are packed. And there is an ongoing tension within us. Yet, God, what you offer is so much better. So for everyone in this room today, no matter where they are and their relationship with you, in the season of life, would you pour into us your love, your kindness, your grace, and your truth? We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. All right, so let's jump in here at uh, John chapter 16, verse 25. And just to recap for a minute, just to catch us up on, on where we are in the story, Jesus has had the Last Supper with his disciples. He knows that his hour is coming. He knows that he's headed toward the cross. And as he prepares for that, he's also preparing his disciples for that who have been doing ministry with him as his closest friends for the past three years. And what we've seen so far in chapter 15 and leading up to this end point in chapter 16 is that his disciples are really not handling the news well. And it makes sense, right? Your best friend tells you, hey, I'm going to leave. I'm going to go. You can't come with me. I mean, imagine this. These were guys that were living on the fringe of society, fishermen, tax collectors, not the most elite. Jesus comes along, sees purpose in them, pours his life into them, 
walks alongside them, doesn't do what society does and reject them, demean them or diminish them, but instead says, come along, I have a mission for you, I want you to take part. And it's not based upon what you can do. It's not based upon what you can bring to the table. I'm going to teach you something that is so enduring and transformative, it's absolutely going to change your life and the life of those around you. And so imagine the person that has walked with you, the very son of God, the very God himself saying, hey, I've got to leave. Your heart would be shattered. You wouldn't want to face this reality and you would have a hard time dealing with it. That's exactly where we find the disciples. They have a lack of peace here. It's clear. It's all around. Jesus says their hearts are filled with sorrow, that they can only bear so much, that they are really struggling with the fact that he says he's leaving and where he's going, they can't follow. And that's where we pick up here in verse 25. Jesus said, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. So up until this point, Jesus has used different figures of speech. My hour, in a little while, you will see me, and then you won't, and you'll see me again. And the disciples are like, what's going on, Jesus? What are you trying to say here? Like, just tell us plainly. We use figures of speech all the time, right? Falling in love. You aren't actually falling, right? And into love, what is this love? Is it a gas, a liquid, solid? What is this? Hitting a target. You're not going around and actually hitting something with your hand. Light as a feather. Climbing the ladder of success. I'm starving. All of these figures of speech, figurative but not literal. And so Jesus knew their limited ability to understand. And he speaks to them in figures of speech. And they've been asking and they've been pleading, please tell us clearly, where are you going? Who are you going to? And so Jesus says in verse 26, In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. And what I'm preparing to do will give you full access into the family to the Father a father who loves you and who sent me for this purpose, for this mission, out of a heart of love for you. He's speaking plainly now. You see it in this last verse. I came to the father. I came to the world. I'm leaving and I'm going back to the father. He's saying, I'm about to accomplish this work, the one that I came to do that I've told you about, and then I'm going back to the father. And look at how the disciples respond here. Disciples say, ah, now you're speaking plainly. You're no longer using figures of speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered, do you now believe? They're saying, now we know. Now we get it. Now the light has flipped on. Now we finally believe. And Jesus questions this. He's like, really? Like, really now you believe? It wasn't when I turned water into wine? It wasn't when I healed that blind person. It wasn't that I raised that person up who couldn't walk and now they can walk. How about that time when I called my friend Lazarus from the grave and he came bouncing out? You didn't believe then, but you believe now? Really? You see, Jesus knows how fickle their emotions are. And he knows the very same thing about us. Have you ever had this conversation with God? I know I have had at times where it's like, God, now I believe. You did this thing, you stepped in, now I, 
now my faith is secure. Now I believe. How long does that last? <laughs> Until the next thing comes along and it's like, God, where are you in this? Uh, what are you doing? I don't know if your plan is as good as you said it would be. I'm not sure here. I'm wavering a little bit. And then God shows and it's like, okay, now I believe. And it's up and down, up and down. I feel this all the time. This tension in this relationship with God of belief, disbelief, doubts, struggling, all of this tension. And God knows this about us. He knows this about our hearts. And he knows this about his disciples. And this is such a heavy, weighty, crushing verse that he would have had, this thing that he's about to say to his disciples in 32. Behold, the hour is coming. They've just said, all right, we believe. We're with you. We got it. Indeed, it has come when you'll be scattered. Each to his own home and will leave me alone. The way Eugene Peterson in the message puts it is it says, you're going to run away to save your own skin. Imagine being these disciples and saying, no, we love you. You're our best friend. Think about Peter. Peter's like, I will never deny you. Peter's about to cut off ears. He's like, this isn't going to happen. And Jesus says, no, it's going to happen because it's not going to look like I'm in control. It's not going to look like the Father's in control. You're going to run to save your own skin. You're going to waver even more. He's so honest with the disciples, and yet he, says, so, he doesn't say, so get out of my sight. <laughs> he says, let me offer you something better. The times we will struggle the most with belief in God's goodness, in God's love, in God's care is when the circumstances in our life aren't peaceful. When it feels like we're walking through a dust storm and we don't know which way is left, right, forward, or backwards, that's the times when we struggle the most. This isn't mind-blowing. You're like, yeah, I can't see clearly. I struggle. I waver. I have questions. I have doubts. And the reason this is the hardest time is because in those moments, we're not sure, if we're honest with ourselves, that God is really in control. It feels like there are other controls at play. And it's difficult. And that's what is about to happen to the disciples here. And Jesus says that. He foretells how this is going to play out with some of his most devoted followers. As things get more dicey, as he gets arrested, as the crowds turn, as the ones that welcome Jesus into the city, remember, Hosanna, Hosanna, oh my goodness, the king has come. All of a sudden that language changes to crucify him, crucify him. It's going to be a wild week. He says it in another way. They'll scatter, they'll run, they'll lose faith. Mark 14, 27 says, You will fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Because it's not going to look like there's control. But then Jesus says something very interesting at the end of this verse. When he says, Each of you will go to your own home and you will leave me alone. Yet, I'm not alone. For the Father is with me. This is so important. Jesus is giving us an example here of what he is inviting us to experience. It's important that we realize that Jesus was not a victim to our sin, but a willing sacrifice going on our behalf to the cross. He knew what was coming. And this didn't mean it was easy for Jesus. Remember the conversation he's going to have with the Father in his humanity, even though he's fully God, fully human, saying, Father, if there's another way, this isn't something I'm looking forward to. But then what does he say? Ultimately, your will be done. Your will be done. He bends the knee. 
How was he able to endure the most peaceless time in human history and yet be at peace with it? He knew the Father was with him, and he knew the Father was in complete control. He was not alone. He was not abandoned. And he's saying, in a little while, you will think that I am alone. It will look like it, and it will feel like things are out of control, but the Father is completely in control, and the Father is completely with me. For you, for me. When it looks like you're alone, when it, lo- when it feels like you're alone, when it feels like you're walking through a season where you're wondering where God is, what is he doing, where are you, are you really in control, what plan do you have for me, is it really good, because it doesn't really look that way right now, I'm not sure what you're doing, this isn't how I thought that life would be right now. Jesus is promising us this. Jesus is with you just as the Father was with him. And the Father is with you. And the Spirit is present within you. Why? Because he loves you. Because he cares for you. He knows you. He sees you. Nothing that has happened or will happen in your life is sliding by him. Does this solve all of the problems? Does this take all of the tension away? No. We're not going to throw a blanket statement on there and says this makes everything better. No, but it should reassure us of where our hope is found. It should point us back to where we can find rest, even in these times. I want to encourage you with something. When life isn't peaceful, share those things with God. There's this lie that you can be fed. I know that um, sometimes I feel like I bought into this, especially when I was younger, that In order to be a good, strong Christian, it means that I just need to keep my head up and hold everything in, say the right things. God, I I trust in you. I I believe in you. I know that you have this plan, and so I'm not going to share all of these things that I'm really feeling. I'm going to dismiss those, push those down, or push them to the side. God doesn't want that. What kind of healthy relationship has that dynamic? God can handle, and he wants to handle what you have to bring to him. When you have questions, when you have doubts, when you have anger, when you have fears, when you're wondering where he is, he invites you to bring that to him. And this is not a lack of faith. In fact, I'm more convinced than ever when we are honest about our weakness, when we're honest with our questions, when we're honest with our doubts, this isn't a lack of faith, but this is a growing faith. Because we feel the comfort to be able to come to God with these things and not hide them from him. This is healthy. This is good. And he meets us in those moments. There's this quote from John Piper. He says, Occasionally weep deeply over the life you hoped would be. Grieve the losses. Then wash your face. Trust God. And embrace the life you have. That God hasn't abandoned you and he's with you in it. But you can be honest with him about that. He invites it. And so maybe you're in here and you're like, I, I thought I'd be married by now. I thought my marriage would look different. I thought my marriage would still be intact. I thought I'd have kids by now. And I don't, or it's not on my timeline. I thought my kids would choose to do this, and they chose to do that. And it's not what I had planned for them or how I thought their life was going to turn out, and I'm struggling with it. 
I feel lonely, I feel tired, I feel confused, I'm sick, my health is waning, I didn't expect this, I found that I have sort of a personality that might be addictive and there are sins in your life that you didn't expect to be there, you don't want to be there and you're having to walk it out, maybe there's even consequences you're having to walk out with that. I'm praying with you and for you that these things would change. But I promise you this, even if they do, it will not bring you the peace you're really looking for and you really need. And that's not to be a Debbie Downer. You're like, thanks a lot. Great news, right? No, but it's truth because what you need and what I need goes so much deeper. And here it is. Here's where it, here's where it hits home. Verse 33. Jesus says, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Here's the big idea for us today. Real peace is found in the person and work of Jesus, not in your problem-solving ability. The person and work of Jesus, not in your problem-solving ability. One of the biggest lies we are fed or we feed ourselves is this. Everything will be better if blank. My life will be complete if blank. That fundamentally is not true because there's something called sin that's rampant in our life and rampant all around us. And once we might find resolution in one area, there are 15 other things waiting at our doorstep to destroy the temporary peace we might, we might, we might have feel like we found. Having or not having true peace will not be found in what we do or don't have, but in who we do or don't have. Jesus. And this is what he's offering. What has he said here in this passage that allows us to be at peace even when life isn't? I would say there's five promises that are really clear that he gives us. Here they are. He says, I'm God. Trust me in this. Two, the Father and I love you. And you have full access. You're a part of the family now. You're secure. Three, with me, you're never alone. Beautiful promise. Four, God, who loves you and will never leave you, has a plan. Five, I've already secured the greatest peace on your behalf. And this one's really interesting. 33 is an amazing verse because of what it does here, and it's really where we find the gold, the golden nugget of truth. He says, I've said these things to you so that in me, and the important word here is me, not just so you can have peace, but in me, you can have peace. And it's like, okay, great. But then he says next, but in the world, you're going to face tribulation. It's like, whoa, 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 I thought you said we were going to be at peace. And he's like, yeah, the world around you is going to be nuts. It's going to be crazy. It's going to get crazier and crazier as we go along. But in me, you can have peace. But the world's going to be crazy. But take heart, I've overcome the world. And the disciples, you can imagine being like, what is going on here, right? Three stages. What are we? Okay, we're going taking a breath. Oh, tense again. Wait, you've overcome the world? What exactly does this mean? This is so amazing what Jesus is getting at here. He's saying, hey, the greatest peace you can have is the peace that I'm already securing on your behalf, the peace for your soul. And when you understand that this is where true peace rests, that no one can take this away, that this is peace for eternity, that no matter what happens, no matter what circumstance comes your way, if you continue to draw and dip from that well and put everything else, all of your circumstances, all of the disruption underneath that, that's where you find peace. And this isn't a, (laughs) Jesus isn't saying like, hey, this, this peace that I'm offering you for your soul, this would be great, right? He's promising it. He's saying this is absolutely secure in me. If you have a relationship with me, you have this peace and no one can take it from you. 
And so put everything else underneath that because everything else you're going to face in this world, guess what? I overcame this world. And I have a new heaven and a new earth that you're going to take part in. And so be looking toward that. Be looking toward me. Hold on to my promises. Even when things get chaotic, even when you're not sure what side's up, what side's down, even when family gets wild and relationships and jobs don't pan out and, and, and money's not there, whatever it is, put it all underneath the eternal peace that I've given you, this promise. I mean, let's just pretend for a minute that you're rock climbing today. And I say you, because you will not find me rock climbing. Scared of heights? I will pass out. It'd be fun to watch, but that's about it. Um, Imagine that you're rock climbing. Imagine that you go rock climbing. But if I told you before you did, if I could make you this promise, and I said, no matter what you do today in your rock climbing, I promise you that you will get home safely. I promise. You won't get hurt. Nothing bad's going to happen. You're going to get home safely. This would dramatically change change your approach to rock climbing today. You would take more risks. You would experience more freedom. You're like, oh, I'm not going to fall. I'm not going to get hurt. I'm guaranteed here. You wouldn't climb in fear. You would endure whatever obstacles come along because you know that you're going to make it home safely. Jesus knew, even with the cross before him, that his father had promised him, you're going to make it home safely. You're going to make it back home. Don't you need to hear that today? No matter what pops up in your life or has, you're going to make it home. He's saying, I'm secured a place for you. I get it, man. Life is hard. Jesus promises us two things in here, really. Life is going to be hard, but I'm going to be with you. So no matter what your tomorrow looks like, no matter what the months to follow look like or don't look like or all of these things, you're going to make it home. This is the greatest peace to draw from. This is the greatest peace to live out of. This is a piece that I want to share this with you. This is a, a book study that one of them that we're doing and the story stuck out to me this week. It's called Recovery and Redemption. This, uh, this young woman named Nina, she experienced this and I just wanted to read this portion to you as we wrap up today because I think it, it encapsulates all of this. Nina was at home with her four children, none of them older than five, one of them only a month old, when her husband called late in the afternoon telling her, telling her not to plan on him for dinner, that he wouldn't be there. Well, how late are you going to be? No, I mean, I'm not coming home. You're not coming home tonight? No, Nina, I'm not coming home ever. Talk about the world suddenly not being right, shattered peace. That's not to say their 10 years of marriage had been perfect. It had grown increasingly difficult in spots peppered with hurt and disagreement, but never to the point where she'd seriously contemplated four kids, no husband, no marriage, no backup, no relief from what those days can do to a mom, even in the best of situations. And yet, that's what was left for Nina to deal with. A messed up life in a messed up, peaceless world. And it was now up to her to fix it. There wasn't anybody else to turn to. Sure, God was there. He'd saved her as a 20-year-old rebel. She'd done her best to keep him placated by her good life, good church going, good parenting. But good Lord, there was only so much she could do. 
And now she was being forced to do it with twice the responsibility and half the stamina. But you do it for your kids, right? You can't quit, not on them. So you learn to live with the betrayal, the fatigue, the challenges, self-pity, the long nights, the awkward conversations, the embarrassing questions, all of it. And you try to make it match up with your Christianity, which makes Christianity just something else to add to your already overblown to-do list. And for Nina, it was quickly becoming too much to do. She sat in a crowded worship service one evening, bravely battling against the stresses of her life by singing promises she wasn't sure she could believe, much less hope to expect or deserve. Her husband had let her down. Life had let her down. God had let her down. Everything was impossibly wrong, completely out of tune, out of her control. And in the midst of feeling herself coming totally unglued that night, fumbling nervously, With a paper envelope that had been lying in the seat next to her, she started to fold it, increase it, and for whatever reason, she started to tear it in half. Tear it more, the Lord seemed to urge her. Tear it into pieces. This wasn't how she usually interacted with God. She was in church here, okay? Couldn't be doing something destructive and distracting, something she'd fuss at her three-year-old for doing, but whether through obedient response to what she was hearing from him in her spirit or because of the sheer um, agitation convulsing in her heart, she quietly began bending that envelope over and over on itself into quarters, into eights, into sixteenths, slowly curling away those slivers of paper, tearing them into even tinier shreds, dozens of them, hundreds of them, Now put it back together, she sensed him saying. It won't go back together. But that's what you're trying to do, Nina, isn't it? You're trying to put yourself and your life and your world back together, and it's not going to happen, not without me. She held what was left of the original envelope now after the size of a dandelion puff in her hand, recognizing that in that little clump of impossibilities, the picture of chaos, of peacelessness, her life had begun to embody. And in a deliberate confession of raw faith, she held out her palms, elbows extended, and slowly lifted that two-handed bowl of brokenness up to the Lord in surrender. He was right. She couldn't do it. This mess was his to fix and to figure out. And he has and he does through the person and work of Jesus. That's where we find peace. Not in our problem-solving ability, but in the finished person and work of Jesus. So if you feel tired or worn out, disappointed, frustrated, maybe it's time to stop focusing on trying to solve those problems and instead start resting in the one who gave up his life to change your life. So the question for today, what do you need to hand over to him Where do you need to reorient your way of seeing Jesus and what he offers you? Where do you need to rest? Is it possible to have peace when life isn't? Yes. When we take our focus off of our problem solving and place our lives in the hands of Jesus, who has not only secured our eternity, but has you today and tomorrow and every day after. No matter what is or what comes, this promise, take heart in Christ. He has overcome the world, and you're in good hands. Real peace is found in the person and work of Jesus, not in our problem-solving ability. That's good news. Jesus, thank you for your truth today. Thank you for the peace that you offer us. May we embrace this peace. May we surrender. May we realize that we cannot fix 
everything on our own. What you're calling for is trust, obedient trust in you. Jesus, would you meet us there with love and kindness and grace? And would you lead us forward into the joy that you've promised us? Jesus, thank you for going to the cross on our behalf. Thank you for your love. May we turn to you today and away from all other things in which we could put our hope. May we open up our hands and receive your goodness, your kindness, and your grace. We pray all these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen.